my father and I always bumped little heads. And I remember years ago when I we lived in Connecticut, they used to like to go to Montgomery Ward. And in Montgomery Ward, there was this dress. It was a dress with a polka dot bow, little double-breasted, and the blouse was a, a polka dot blouse came underneath it. And then the little jumper was a, probably navy blue or whatever. And I wanted that with the little brass buttons. And I really wanted that dress. And my father said, no. And, you know, I always said to myself, I'm the only child. You're in here shopping and everything. And all I want is that, that dress. Why can't I have that dress? So from then on, I decided that that early age that when I wanted something, I didn't want to have to ask somebody for it. I really wanted to be able to buy it myself. My first job was setting up trays in the kitchen of a nursing home. I've been in this business for over 40 some years. And then all hell broke out. That's when COVID just slammed in. I was um, the unit manager of a you know 42 bed unit. And um, my particular unit was long-term care. My unit at the time had no COVID, nothing. I had stayed on my staff. I was very diligently. I was actually coming in every morning, wiping down everything. And I actually was giving my staff what we call a little booster. I had them take the vitamins and stuff in the morning when we came in. And But by the time the building started getting really overwhelmed uh, our unit was still holding out is where I really felt that my my job let me down and let my unit down we broke we breached our problem the problem was my nursing department decided that they needed my staff and they started taking my staff and um, transferring them to other units where they didn't have the staff I, when I got home one after one evening, because my hours were very long, and I um, realized then that I needed to get my grandson out of the house. You know, I knew I was being challenged with what was going on in the unit and everything, but at some good point, I had enough sense to know that I needed to get him away from me, uh, that I would not be able to handle him because at this point they were out of school. And then what happened is my unit came, my nurses would come back, my aides and my nurses would come back. Automatically, they've already been infected. And that's how my unit came down with COVID. So I lost all my nurses. I was on that unit by myself, trying to keep that unit going, by having two aides and patients that were really sick. I was just coming home, getting in the in the tub, getting back up, going to sleep, and getting back up, going to work. It until one day I I came in and my temperature was a little high, so that she said, "Why don't you just have a seat there and see if it wasn't from me rushing in, you know, whatever." And took the temp again, and it was that it was okay. So I went to the unit and worked. And when I got home. I took my temp and everything. It was a little high and I took some Tylenol and um, 
it was the weekend and I would never forget it. I was getting called like crazy. They had no nurses. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't come in. <laughs> so you, I get a phone call from my d- director. Well, we need you. I says, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm not gonna be able to come in. I don't think, and I'm gonna tell you right now, I won't be in on Monday. I'm going to go and get a test. I just came down with COVID in, around the 21st of April. And I haven't been back since, <laughs> but that was, uh, I left at that. I had the coughing, the high, the, the fever was unbelievable. And the coughing was just physically exhausting. And the, the aching and everything. And I'm already got three strikes on me right now. Not only that I'm over 60 and um, got diabetes and hypertension. I have the syndrome. There's a lot of people, they're throwing a lot of terms out there, but the one that I think sounds the best is the COVID-19 syndrome, which means that you're not going to, you're not going to be that average person who comes down with it in um, 10 or 14 days is able to go back to work. No, because you still have that fatigue. And it's a really, it depends on some degree of the fatigue, because from what I'm hearing, I was listening to somebody that six and seven and eight, nine months, which where I'm at. Before I could go into the grocery store and I could push a cart, I could walk around and not feel like I really needed to stop and rest. So right after that first week that I felt better, I went to the grocery store and I actually did something I didn't think I would ever do. And that was get one of those electric cars. So that's where the extent I was at that point. I was able to get out of the house, but the endurance was not there. And at this point, my endurance is still there. They, well, the lack of that full endurance that I had prior, is, I have not recovered. I haven't gotten back to that baseline. So right now I can do a little light work around the house or I could, uh, but I have to start. I have intervals, I have to go for let's say 15 or 20 minutes and I got to go and sit down and rest a while. And this is what my job is saying. Can you perform the job, you know, based on your job description, which means, well, I, because I'm a unit manager, it doesn't mean I'm sitting down all the time. I, I have to fill positions if I'm down a nurse and there's nobody to replace her, I can't get my um, scheduler to get me a nurse then I have to do it. And um, before COVID, I would do it. I, I'm sure, you know, as a company, they, they were not looking at this or wanted to look at this as a work-related injury. They jumped. I think they jumped the gun. I think whoever was running the, the ball at that time jumped the gun and said, no, this is a communicable disease. And, and that's what I was told by this person that it was not going to be, it's not a work-related injury. And I, you know, I questioned her because I have worked in, um, in my positions before over the years. I said, well, then you're going to have to give me that in writing. Never got it in writing. Because at that point, I had already applied for the pandemic or what other alternatives I have because I can't come back to work. I was told that I was eligible for unemployment. So when I went online and applied for unemployment, I applied with my, my full name, Gaynell Victoria Fuller. Fuller is my maiden name. It's the name I was born with. However, I didn't realize that when I applied for unemployment, that I had a history with unemployment because in 1992, I had applied for unemployment and I applied and 
that was under my merit name as Richardson, Gaynell Richardson. But my social security never changed. When I started getting my deposits, it would say Gaynell the Richardson. And I said to myself, why is it coming into, I'm surprised my bank is even taking it because it's saying Richardson and I'm fuller. So what happened is, I think I was talking to a supervisor. I said, well, there's a problem. Why is my name showing up with Richardson? When I applied, my application was under fuller. And I explained to her that Richardson was my married name. I've been divorced for almost 10 or 15 years. My husband's even married again. So why is that a problem? When I should have been questioned, when my application came in under fuller. So she said, well, automatically it converts. This is what she said, automatically on unemployment, it goes with your last history. My last history was Richardson. And that's how the unemployment took it. Not care because the social security matched Richardson. That was it. So, but she assured me at that time, oh, we'll check, we'll, I'll get that fixed. Well, <laughs> you know, six or seven months later, I'm fighting for my life and it never got fixed, but it, it ended up being a more, it got more bureaucracy because once this big fraud issue came out and the federal government got involved in it, they brought in another department, which is the identity fraud issue of the unemployment. And then you had the regular unemployment. So here you are with two different departments. And the bureaucracy is one doesn't connect with the other. The identity said, once we get it, you cannot say anything to us and that's the unemployment. And they were locked. Even though they might know everything, it had to be approved by the identity department regardless. And no matter how much you really want to explain what the history, which is unemployment got it, and they were not connecting, something the identity department was seeing that they felt there was inconsistencies with it. And they sent back emails that you and eligible for identity fraud. And I'm like, are you serious? So when I sent everything they asked, they wanted, you know, your social security, all that, I sent all that. And he still sent me an email saying, you're still uneligible indefinitely. I, I cried. I'm like, are they serious? Here I have been fighting. I have no income coming in other than my social security. And I'm, I'm paying up, I got rent, everything. And how am I going to survive with me and my grandson? So basically, you know, I, I was just kind of like devastated because I just could not believe. And then God winked at me and got me connected with the right people, the right persons. And, and then it started processing. Once we had to go that route of getting legislature to get involved with it. And I agree, there are people who are fraudulent who can play the game, but you know, but there are people who really hurting. And who are you to determine who's who's not hurting and who's fraudulent? And then you got elderly people that do not know how to navigate this stuff, not know how to navigate this stuff at all. And especially if they don't have any connection with young people or young adults who can come over and say, okay, this is what we need to do. They're lost. If it wasn't for what I, being being in a leadership position, being as working with human resources, I, I have a little bit advantage to be able to overstep some boundaries and know where to go if I, if I get a wall. But I'll be honest with you, even though I had all these boundaries, oh, I couldn't, I could not overstep this. I didn't, I didn't think it took what happened, legislative move to do it. It was a wall. Let me tell you, if you don't have legal documents and that's where we all know, that's where this is all going. To separate those that haves and that haves not. 
you might have gotten some gotten by with a couple of things or borrowed somebody's whatever or got a copy of something or whatever but if you do not have legal documentations you can forget it that is definitely a wall and if you've got legal documentation by the old school way you're probably that majority of people who couldn't even get the id now driver's license it because you need to show proof of birth and everything and all that transpired so if you were caught up in that you definitely are not going to get any so you're out there you are desperate i really feel the people that are most hurt not of people of color but people of different cultures that come here because that's the biggest problem um i see is that there's so many people who may have gotten here and are here living, existing, and suddenly find that they are trapped in a system. They now don't have job where they were doing those jobs that nobody else might want to work. You know, even working in the kitchen, washing dishes, but because you were a good worker and whatever, and, and you had some way of bringing in an ID or something, then you got a job because um, you were willing to do that job. But as what has manifested from COVID is this extreme um divide of people who are struggling were struggling but thought they were doing okay and now can't make it because they now have to prove their existence and there's no forgiveness to say okay so you got here it messed up we messed up okay so let's just get somewhere especially at this point let's get you some help let's get you some money let's get you some a job let's get you back on track and then we'll worry about the how you got here why you got here but right now we're in a crisis and you need help i believe that what got me through this is um a strong sense of survival i've had it ever since i was a girl i've been trying to survive i've always had um this drive to pick it up pick up the pieces and keep going and more so as I get older, you know, because I've had my grandson since a baby, I've been raising. So this is a very strong um, point is that I need to do because I need to take care of someone and make sure they're, you know, good. And, and as I get older, it gets more to a point where what everything I'm doing now is to preserve and make sure that he's going to be uh, a productive male in, in his life society. And, you know, are the same that there's a legacy that I know that I did everything I did to, keep, to help him get there. So I think that's where I'm at now, um, specifically um, as a grandmother. You know, before these days, I wasn't even looking at it from when he was a baby. I wasn't looking at so much of that. You know, it was just a, a need to make sure I took care of him. But now it's more um, of setting the, uh, preparing the road for him when I'm not no longer around.